Hi there, I'm Osman Faruqi, the editor of 7am. Before getting into today's episode, we wanted to give you a quick update on the extraordinary new measures announced by the government in response to the coronavirus outbreak. From today, the federal government will require overseas visitors to self-isolate for 14 days. Temperature checks will also occur at all airports. The government has advised that non-essential mass gatherings of 500 or more people should not occur. That does not apply to schools or universities. A national cabinet made up of the Prime Minister and state and territory leaders will continue to weigh up other potential measures. Doctors and medical experts are advising people to regularly wash their hands, avoid unnecessary contact, and isolate themselves if they're unwell. At the end of today's episode, we'll have more information on the coronavirus pandemic and the latest developments in Australia. From Schwartz Media, I'm Osman Faruqi. This is 7am. Animal-free dairy could be the norm within the next decade, promising affordable, sustainable and cruelty-free milk. But what will the success of alternative milk mean for the thousands of jobs and businesses in the agricultural industry? Today, Leslie Hughes on the future of dairy. Well, go to the grocery store and you have all kinds of milk products to choose from. Now, according to a recent survey, nearly a quarter of Brits have swapped traditional dairy milk for plant-based alternatives. There really are different milks for, for different, different people. people. Yep. So that's what These days, baristas juggle orders for soy milk, oat milk, almond milk, coconut milk. Oat milk, huh? Oat milk, yeah. Oat milk is the new almond milk. So many options out there. How do you know which milk is the right milk for you? We're going to look at all of them. Leslie... I'm an oat milk drinker. I don't really know if it's the best alternative to dairy milk, but I've been told that it's better for the environment and it's a more ethical choice. Is that a factor you have in your milk decisions? Yes, and in fact, I switched to oat milk for most of my diet um, when I was researching this piece. So. <laughs> yeah, right. And you wrote about the alternatives to dairy milk in the latest issue of The Monthly. Just how popular are they? So in Australia, plant-based milk consumption is anticipated to increase at a, at a rate of nearly 17% over the next five years. And the market for those plant-based milks is increasing. It was worth apparently last year an estimated 14 billion US dollars and it's growing at about 8% per year. Leslie Hughes is an ecologist and professor of biology at Macquarie University. Synthetic milk's going to be the new kid on the block. Uh, most people haven't heard anything about synthetic milk, but I think in the next five years they certainly will. The synthetic milk boom was really started by a couple of passionate young biomedical engineers. Hello, everybody. I'm Permal. And I'm Ryan. We're the founders of Perfect Day, and we're excited to share our story Who with you today. had become vegan due to their concerns about the environmental aspects of the dairy industry and also animal welfare concerns. This meant we were no longer eating any meat, nor eggs, nor, most difficult for us, dairy. Can you imagine? But they were both lovers of cheese and they were really disappointed with the vegan cheese offerings. We can no longer find good options to eat. All of the dairy alternatives that were available felt like they were held together with glue instead of real food. And the worst so, part... 
got together and decided there must be another way. And they realised that the microorganism yeast, which is, of course, used to brew beer and to make bread, is a very, very versatile microbe. And they have invented a way using fermentation technology uh, with yeast to produce cow proteins. If you're wondering what our process actually looks like, imagine a beer brewery. If you walk into our production process in the future, there'll be these beautiful giant stainless steel tanks. Inside it will be yeast that's converting sugar into milk protein for human use. So having done that, they're now working on getting the yeast to produce the lipids, the fats from milk. And once they've cracked that code, they'll basically be able to produce a product that is almost chemically identical to milk, but without the use of a cow. Can you tell me what is driving that demand? You talked about this desire to create something that is chemically like milk, but doesn't come out of a cow. Why are people so keen to have milk that doesn't come from cows? So if I start with the environmental issues, the CSIRO here in Australia have estimated that for every litre of milk produced from a cow, you need a minimum of 500 litres of water and up to 1,600 litres of water. So there's the water issue. And in a dry continent like Australia, and especially during a drought, that's a really significant thing to think about. The other thing about livestock, like cows and sheep, is that they produce a lot of methane. Over about a seven-year lifetime of the typical dairy cow, she will have produced about 800 kilograms of methane. And the significance of methane is that it's a greenhouse gas that's more than 20 times as effective at trapping heat in the atmosphere as is CO2. Then if we think about the sort of animal welfare and uh, ethical issues, well, if you think about it, modern cows have been bred to produce enormous quantities of milk. In fact, The average dairy cow produces about 10 times the amount of milk that they need to sustain a single calf. And that genetic breeding puts tremendous strain on the body. They've got these huge udders. They're prone to mastitis, which is an infection inflammation of the udder. She could live for about 20 years, but most dairy cows are slaughtered after six or seven years because by that stage their milk production is declining and they're less economical to to feed. So she has a short and pretty hard life and eventually ends up as probably pet food or some sort of mince. So, Leslie, in response to these concerns... We're seeing this rise in plant-based milk alternatives and potentially the growth of a new synthetic form of milk. How worried should the dairy industry be about these changes? Well, they probably should be very worried indeed, especially if the projections of a US-based think tank called Rethinks X are correct. So this company looks ahead at trends in technology and the disruptions that those trends result in, has analysed the, the US beef and dairy industry in relation to the growing technology using yeast and other microorganisms to produce animal-free animal protein. The report that they produced last year concludes that these synthetic proteins made by yeast and other microorganisms will be perhaps five times cheaper, they will be healthier, they will be more flexible and altogether more desirable than the uh, animal-based alternatives. 
what they conclude, in fact, in the US, which is quite an astonishing projection, is that by about 2030, the, the beef livestock industry, both for meat production and dairy production, could well be bankrupt completely. So they do make some pretty astounding projections for basically the death of a huge industry in the next decade. We'll be back in a moment. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. For long-time editor Winnie Dunn, there were a few rules she followed when writing her debut novel. I really don't subscribe to writing for the sake of, you know, trauma dumping or getting your trauma out. That's what a therapist is for, please. <laughs> please go see a therapist. We're very pro-therapy on yeah, this. Yeah, if, that's, no, if that's what you're using writing for. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's very therapeutic episode of Read This, I chat with Winnie Dunn. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Leslie, we're talking about the threat facing the dairy industry. What sort of position is it in at the moment? In recent years, the Australian dairy industry has been in quite a lot of trouble. It's, it's still our third largest agricultural industry, but very few dairy farmers have been making much of a profit. Part of that is due to the ongoing drought, which has made uh, the costs of feeding uh, cattle much more expensive. And the prices that farmers are getting from the dairy processors that sell to supermarkets are not keeping up with the costs on the farm. At the same time, our share of global dairy trades fallen from about 16% in 2000 to below 6% in 2018. So our contribution to the global dairy trade, despite increasing demand from China and other places, has been declining. How are farmers dealing with this? Are they anxious about the future? Well, I'm not a dairy farmer, but if I was, I would certainly be worried, Mm. Um, especially with the ongoing drought. The costs of producing milk outweigh, in many cases, the prices that the dairy farmers are getting from the major milk processing companies. We have invested in this, and years ago we were getting somewhere, but now we're just not getting anywhere, and I've had enough. The processors have to deal with the supermarkets and going back to 2016 when Coles and Woolworths brought in a a dollar a litre milk, um, that really had big impacts on the dairy industry as well, according to farmers, because it kind of sent the message of devaluing of the industry. And respectfully ask that you boycott Coles across this country until they lift their damaging and soul-destroying dollar a litre milk campaign. So all of those things are really ongoing. The Australian government is trying to deal with the unfairness within the contracts and to make contracts for farmers more transparent and more likely to produce a living wage. The amount of hours, time, hard work, dedication that we do, and for what? There's no result, like no outcome. So it's just not going anywhere. 
but the wars in the dairy industry continue. Leslie, what you're saying, it, it sounds like the dairy industry here is already dealing with some pretty significant structural challenges. And now it's going to start to have to contend with the rise of synthetic milk and the growth in plant-based milk alternatives. How are they planning on dealing with all of that? Well, last year, the Australian government funded a plan for the dairy industry. There is a draft plan available now. Um, There was a group led by the former Victorian Premier John Brumby to put this plan together. They did a very large consultation process. They talked to lots of farmers, lots of processors, the supermarkets, the the peak bodies. Uh, They're calling for more marketing and, you know, to try and get more people people to drink more milk and and eat more dairy products. If you read the plan, however, what it actually doesn't do is deal with the growing external pressures on the industry. There is little to nothing about the impacts of climate change, even though we know that uh, heat waves have huge impacts on, on the production of milk by dairy cows. Very little about that, very little about facing the prospect of ongoing drought. And there's virtually nothing at all about the competition from plant-based milks and only a passing reference to technological developments that may be a risk in the future. Okay, so is there anything that can be done? Yes, look, absolutely. I think there's some very strong analogies in this area to the transition from fossil fuels to renewables in the energy sector. So there's a lot of talk about the need to transition people out of dependence on uh, income from fossil fuels as renewables take over. There's a lot of focus on um, retraining or the need to transition those communities and support those communities and individuals to a a new way of living and a new form of income. And I think uh, that is analogous to to what's going to have to happen in some of the, the agricultural industries that are going to be threatened by this new technology. Leslie, thanks so much for speaking to me. Oh, that's my pleasure. Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. Also in the news, New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern announced on Friday that all international arrivals into New Zealand would be required to self-isolate for two weeks. Yesterday, Scott Morrison announced Australia would adopt the same policy. The Prime Minister also clarified that the ban on mass gatherings of 500 or more people taking effect from today would not apply to train stations, schools or university campuses. The National Cabinet will meet again later this week to decide whether schools and other institutions should still remain open. Yesterday, Australia's Chief Medical Officer, Brendan Murphy, called for the public to avoid panic buying, but said that there was a potential for cities to be placed into lockdown, as has occurred in South Korea and parts of Europe. As some schools across the country have taken the decision to close, Brendan Murphy said he was not yet advising governments to shut down the school system. 
Health Minister Greg Hunt said that while the government would continue to be guided by medical advice on the question of school shutdowns, he did not want to act too early. Murphy also called on Australians to refrain from stockpiling, advising that just a few days' worth of food was all that was necessary. I'm Osman Faruqi. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.